0: Q Playback.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Q Playback, the podcast looking at DIY indie recording from the 1990s through to today. The year again is 1990. Now In a previous episode, we have looked at what was in the top of the charts for 1990 in Australia, um, and it was very grunge heavy. So I'm going to introduce my two guests for today. Uh, Paul McCartney and David Waterworth. Now, we go back a fair way back into our teenage years. What would be your memory of our first meeting? I th- uh, from what we were saying earlier, I think I met Paul first.
2: Yeah, I think so, Chris. I, yeah. I, we there was some connection through our uh the uh kind of youth group thing we were in, the Boys Brigade, and uh I think we were we'd heard that you were a guitarist and and we were Kind of in a band and yeah. looking to. And whoever said that was very kind. <laughs> 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 you know, when, you were, yeah. when you were about 15. And I, yeah, I was saying, we, we uh, I think we uh, were doing a playing for this, for an event organised by another group, and we were playing at Melbourne Town Hall. Yep. And uh, we set up on the stage basically acoustically really without mm-hmm. amps not a not a <laughs> played through the speaker system of the sang through the speaker system and the place the drums just acoustic and amps set up on the stage I think yeah. was the, yep. the deal I remember going up to the very back of the town hall and listening to the band thinking that just sounds fantastic <laughs> 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 got- and it was all downhill from there <laughs> uh, so I'll just set
1: the scene with our, our gritty meeting Paul uh, oh, right. it was uh, 1990, apparently, the 10th uh, Pan-Australia camp, mm-hmm. Brisbane, Queensland, in January 1990, 900-plus campers. Uh, and this is from the Boys' Brigade website. Um, <laughs> it still exists. So I was surprised. Really? <laughs> um, situated at Cullingar on the northern outskirts of Brisbane, the 10th Pan-Australia camp featured acres of paddocks that were converted into a motorbike track, mini bike track, flying fox across the dam, water slide using water dispensed from old shower heads, floating pontoon and canoe trail, and of course an assault course. For the first time, campers were able to choose non-PentaPak electives to try out an activity without the pressure of reaching a set standard for the pentapack badge. In addition to Discover Brisbane, Dreamworld, Bribie Island and Sunshine Coast trips, electives including climbing of the Glasshouse Mountains and canoe expeditions to the Noosa River system. Uh, to further enhance the program, the camp had its own radio station and a canteen that became a marketing triumph. <laughs> Gordy's go- <laughs> Gobble and Go. I have no memory of this. A wide range of stamps featuring camp activities and theme days were available (laughs) so that campers could put together a portfolio of the fun times at camp. The 10th pack also formally developed the concept of volunteers where BB, that's Boys Brigade uh, for those unfamiliar, for uh, families and officers who were unable to attend the camp assisted in preparation, canteen security and many other roles contributing to the camp's success. Um, Mm. So it's under those trying conditions that we met, Paul.
2: Um, It's amazing how little your memory can retain Uh, 10 days of my life. What what I remember is that
1: um, I'd come down with a terrible fever fever the night before I flew up there, and I think the first two days of the camp, at least, I was just in a stretcher. (laughs) um, The joys. That's right. Um, so nineteen ninety. Um, before we get into um, the band, what what were you listening to? What do you think you were listening to in nineteen ninety? That um, I know for myself that nineteen ninety, mm. I, I was still listening to a lot of post punk and getting into electronic music. Um, so it's a year after the Cure released Disintegration, so I would have been heavily into that. <laughs>
0: I think we were heavily influenced by bands like U2.
2: We were still in a U2 phase. Yeah,
0: Joshua Tree had come out. In 87. 87, so that was still pretty strong with us. We, we actually had a flirtation with White Snake. <laughs> wow.
1: I did not know this. Yeah. So, and
0: Shall that, we leave now? <laughs> no, I was going to say right. you can stay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was pretty eclectic, wasn't it, what we were listening to?
2: Yeah, because so, and Van, you know, there was there was that sort of White Snake and Van Halen and uh, uh, yep. that that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, and then but that big yeah, guitar sound.
1: We'll come yeah. back to that later. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And then there's that that you know you two and that was Rattle and Hum and almost to um what's it called the other famous one they did it... Akhtung Baby. Yeah, almost Akhtung yeah. Baby.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I, I said in an earlier episode that was one of the the biggest impacts on. Mm. Um, I, I think just from sound wise, I loved their early albums when there was a lot of experimentation, and then that seemed to be almost a return. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what about you, Dave?
0: Um, certainly, being a drummer, you're always looking for for inspiration, and uh, you want to play along with um, with great drummers. So, and that's how I learnt my chops, mm. you know, growing up um, from fifteen to probably 18, so that's in the early 90s. Um, certainly Van, Van Halen was strong for me. Um, and, and even, you know, Australian rock bands like yeah. Choir Boys and, um, and, and those sort of bands, they were, they were influential for me. Yeah. How come you can't play a straight beat then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I actually remember, I reckon, Chris, that Brisbane camp... There was some connection with going to that camp and getting on the bus or off the bus or something, and me going to a record store in the city, and getting Daniel Anwar. Ah, uh, that his. I think we might have talked about that. Yeah, wow. Cause, and and so he, very you know, different to you two, but because he mm. produced you two, mm. um, that he and I I heard his song um, <clears throat> on on Rage or something. And I, and I was drifting off to sleep the way everyone always is, yeah, watching Rage, yeah. and thought, oh, that's quite interesting. The Maker was the song. And mm-hmm. I remember hearing that song thinking, oh, that's, that's an interesting song, and, and went off to sleep or whatever. And then woke the next morning thinking, I have to go and get that song. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. reckon I went on the camp and came back and got it, got the album, in, while I was in the city when I got back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting connection to your story yeah. with the camp. And so yeah. and as literally as we walked in tonight, Dave was humming a song from a Bob Dylan album that Daniel Lenoir produced, which we mm. which we love. Yeah. Um and yeah, so that's his his stuff, you know, was pretty it's mm. certainly stuff that we listened to a lot and have played yeah. over the years and yeah. And as a you know, the production type stuff is you know, I'm sure we had that in the back of our minds when we're <laughs> having yeah. anything yeah, yeah, anything
1: yeah. like that, we would have been happy. When I was uh, going back listening to uh, some of these recordings that we'll talk about um, in a minute, I was actually surprised at how um, tight and hard Dave was hitting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so when uh, we talk about the band, we're talking about um, Shadowlands. Is it still okay to...
0: You can see, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's not, um, a well, not quite a deal. So,
1: either. for clarification... Um, the internet search says you're either a post-punk band from Portland, no, no, or a British prog rock band, yeah. no, no. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we were pre-internet. Let's, yes. Let's, let's... Yeah. So otherwise, yeah. um, the internet's been completely scrubbed of any memory <laughs> of Shadowlands. Um, so I
0: just wanted to ask, yeah. how does that feel? And which one of you did that? <laughs> I think it was just by by chance, wasn't it? That we were we, we just missed that wagon. Yeah. I, I did an IT degree. I was going to ask you how that's fed into your um, <laughs> coaching skills, and and that was that was prior to the internet. So I know nothing now. I'm clearly I'm redundant.
2: <laughs> and what, that was even pre MySpace. You know, yeah. so it was it was just there was nothing. Yeah, I remember.
0: Yeah,
2: at, in one of our iterations, uh, Arnie was was the bass player was going to do a MySpace page and yeah, stuff for us. I reckon that okay. was, was going to be the big new but, thing. Uh, yeah. Never, Never happened. happened. <laughs>
0: Thank goodness for that.
1: (laughs) So for the two of you, um, what was your first recording endeavour, do you think?
0: I reckon it was really early on. It might have even been when, so pre-Shadowlands, we were called Exit. I reckon it was in the late 80s. We were involved in a church and they had a PA and like a little... Um, studio like like a little sound booth, encased in glass, yep. and a cassette deck and some microphones and and I think David Carter came in and recorded. <laughs> he did four or five songs just live mm-hmm. on a cassette deck. You know the T8 cassette deck in yep. inside the sound booth. And, and was it magic? <laughs> <sighs> I, I I I think we were pretty rough. Yeah. And and we were pretty. It was a pretty naive sound, I think, we had back then. Yeah, yeah, because
2: the songs were written by our guitarist at the time, Mark, and they were particular. There was of a particular style. He was listening to particular mm. versions of Christian music at the time, yeah. I think. And um, yeah, so I don't know. It's it's like most recording. It's fun, and you think it sounds good, and you because you you want it to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so we we would. Just talking about it before, and so I, Dave remem- remembered that I was singing. We had this, um, the church had this, like a big, like a thirty-liter drum for water. For act- you know, if you went on a pic- a church picnic, for Great. example, yep. and and I was that was that was our reverb unit, Excellent. as I recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: With Paul's head basically, right. with a radio mic <laughs> like in there, and did it, did it
1: have like a, a bottom that you could move in and out to change the reverb time? Like it didn't, Abbey but that's an excellent idea. Yeah. If I go
2: back to it, we'll, we'll try that. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's our million dollar idea for a home studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so with the lineup, how did that change? Because I, I think by the time I started playing a bit of music with you, hmm the uh who was in the lineup by that stage
0: oh that was, so there were quite a few iterations we had two yeah. drummers for a while
2: <laughs> we did yeah
0: um, um. so mark Moracy was playing drums and and we'd have songs where he would I'd come in and he'd come in and we mm-hmm. we'd have two which is you know I guess some modern bands do that um i think by the time you had entered the band we'd been through maybe three or four guitarists um and maybe two bass players at that point.
2: Yeah, so there was the first time that I recall before the Melbourne Town Hall one, which is where our guitarist at the time wasn't available. Yeah. That was, that was when we were really young. Mm-hmm. And then we did a, we played with Mark for a while um, and then he decided that he had a life. <laughs> 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 studying, he was, he was a very intelligent fellow, studying at university and doing a lot of work. So he, he had to stop. Uh, and then we we um, our our main sort of guitarist for a number of years was was Stuart Manderson. Yep. And so, um, as far as guitar style goes, Mark and Stuart were really very different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so Mark Mark was a big fan of you too, and was you know trying to get that sort of delay, that edge sort of delay sound. Um. And Stu was much more well able to do a guitar solo, which is mm, yeah. Yeah, the Edge hadn't done a guitar solo by that time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and Stuart's style was really—I uh, remember him playing some solos, thinking that it was very Brian May-esque. You know, mm. there was a real Queen. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ha- having played with Stuart, I'd have to say that um, he's a lot more precise. Uh, I think I had the sounds, but he had the ability. <laughs> 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 oh,
2: yeah, he was—he was gifted. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was—he was good with that, and 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 the sounds, the sounds kind of came. Later, because he he eventually bought a, a had a unit and yeah. was able to get some reasonable sounds after that. <laughs>
0: yeah, mm-hmm. and um, brothers in the band. Well, my yeah. So I, I think every one of my brothers has played in the band at <laughs> at, at some different point. points. So yeah. a
1: bit like ACDC or the Nationals. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah. So I've got a twin brother, Mark. So he started. He, he's probably the one that that. Played keyboards. He was in the mm. band for the longest period of time, and then we we did a gig with my second youngest brother Chris. That's right. Which you played at. Yep. Which was a really large gig in Geelong. Um, did Chris and, play that? Yeah. He, yeah. I, I remember he played that. Hilarious. And, and Chris is Chris is the most talented musician in the family. Um, but he only played one gig, yeah. and, then, and then just recently, my youngest brother Phil has been playing with us. So. Okay, excellent. There's yeah, um, no escaping. Yeah. Chris was Chris yeah. just showed us up. Uh, that was the,
2: yeah. yeah. He had to go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so you've spoken about. Um, the church as being the first kind of recording experience, where yeah. did it go from there? Because um, you've got a couple of
0: um, <laughs> albums, yep. EPs here. Yeah. Um, so pro- probably the first serious attempt at recording was still cassette based. Huh. Um, and that was recorded at Baker Street Studios with mm-hmm. Alan Neuendorf. Um, Which at the time was AJ Audio Art. Yeah, that that's yep. right. Um and I don't know how many tracks are on there what six yep six, six, seven tracks
1: Audacious putting out
2: your first EP calling it the sequel
0: that's right yep. you it was wacky hey? yeah. yeah crazy that was off to thought.
2: that was to play off the movie because there was a movie that came out at the time called Shadowlands which uh, was based on the right, si- life right. of C.S. Lewis now I get it mm-hmm. you see i only 30 years
0: late so right, right. Right. <laughs> but wow what a moment for you that's right okay, well, welcome that's just, that's right. Just, just give me a minute <laughs> Yeah, and that was recorded on one inch, one inch um, yep. reel, reel or reel. And so at I, that I, point, no sinking of dates. I, I think he might have just got some. What are they? Da eighty eight. Yep. I think he had one. <laughs> Mind you, we didn't use that many tracks at that mm. point. I think it might have been thirty two track. We had no money and we had that money <laughs> there you go. musicians with no money yeah right. but, um, but it was the first time you realized you can put down more than one guitar track <laughs> and double up on it yeah and, and this and you know that was um that was a you know an awakening for us that you could you could multi-track guitars yeah.
1: and, and everything that you'd listened to for your entire life wasn't a live performance somewhere in a studio yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. um yeah.
2: So did we did we do that one when did we do the Latrobe one? Was that before? Oh, it was after? actually... was it was. it I can't remember, because that was on
0: CD. That came out that on CD. That came on CD, yeah. Did we win that? No, we... were. Well, did we, we just apply we, to do it or something?
2: We did a recording... Sorry, Chris. We're yeah. just having a chat amongst ourselves. Yeah. We did a recording at
0: La Trobe Uni through mm-hmm. at one point. And that was while we were in university, it was through the University Battle of the Band contest. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we came second or third mm-hmm. in that, and that made us eligible for... <clears throat> being recorded by the local um, at La Trobe Uni. And I think one of the tracks on there or two of the tracks on, on that were taken from that recording. Okay.
1: Um, so how would you describe the sound on that first EP? Because I, I was having a listen last night and I was mm-hmm. trying to sort of pick influences. and. But yeah. I want to hear what, what you feel when
0: you listen to it. Yeah. I reckon there's a little bit of Simple Minds in there. I think that... The drums and some of the keyboard parts, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so those big kind of anthemic. That yep. so was certainly that sort of arena style that we liked. Well, I was going to mention
1: Mel Gaynor earlier just for incredible drummers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and if that had any influence on you and your drumming.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's one track in there in particular that, that's got that, you know, that that influence of him in there. Um Paul's just going through memory lane there. Mm.
2: Yeah, so I, <laughs> I was I was at, up the country the other day in, in an orchard, pottering about, and found myself singing the words to that first
0: that first song.
2: Excellent! I'm still doing this. Why am I singing this? <laughs> just is, just last week. What is this? Great ear <laughs> <earworms> <laughs> <throat> <laughs>
0: stuck in my head. Or earwig stuck in my head. <laughs> so I remember that song
2: Salt Shaker. Okay. I, I remember writing the words for that okay. in an exam. <laughs> so I'd done because the, you'd already finished. I had finished the exam. There we go. Yeah. Good. So I'd finished the exam and, when, you know, because you kind of uh, amped up, I suppose, to do, to do the exam, finish the exam, and so my brain was still going and I remember just poof, scribbling it all scribbling it all down, which wasn't really my style. Mm. It, wasn't my, it wasn't my thing, but it kind of all, you know, as they, as they say, it, it rolled out. And that's how I remember doing that. And I, so there's a, it's a bit of an eclectic mix here, Chris, I, as mm. I'm looking at it again, because yeah. Victory was... Um, Matt, our bass player, was—he wasn't happy really with the style of music that we <laughs> we had dragged him along to. No, yeah. so he was listening. I don't know what he was listening to at that time, but Victory was like his—that was his song mm-hmm. that he came up with, um, and other songs. I was—I remember, kind of trying to come up with them and and very uncreatively thinking I need to be creative here and trying to come up with ways to to write songs because again, I'm because musically I'm not. It's it's I'm not very talented musically but so I would I remember um, just plonking on a piano with two fingers to try and come up with a bass line for for water
0: Mm. I remember
2: that Uh, Listening to Victory I was Impressed by the use
1: of like '90s dance piano, yes, and uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone else really brought that back until Arcade Fire with Reflector about ten years ago. Mm, there you go, we were
2: we
0: were well in front of yeah. the right. Yeah, so yeah.
2: yeah, so Victory was one that was recorded at the at, at the, the tribe. Uni. Yeah. yeah, so yeah.
0: quite it probably has got quite a different sound. Yeah, yeah. For a while. and I remember that that he, he we we asked if we could do two guitars in. At La Trobe and the guy said no. Yeah, right. So there's only one guitar track <laughs> yeah, <okay>. in there.
2: <laughs> Very thin guitar.
0: <laughs> Wispy thin. Whereas Al at AJ Art allowed us to do multiple guitar yeah, tracks. Yep.
1: Yeah. It, it's interesting because at points, uh, like a lot of the music that was coming through at that point, the, um, it the guitars especially are, tr- are almost grunge. They're almost yeah, trying to move into grunge riffs. Yeah. Uh, but they're still sort of getting the big um, 80s guitar solo moments. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting to listen to because it's almost like there are styles fighting for dominance on yeah. some of the tracks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting moment in music history, isn't it, yeah. where yeah. you've shifted. And that was an interesting moment for you too when they moved from kind of the the acoustic-based Joshua Tree into the Uctung Baby yeah. kind of phase where electronic music and maybe, yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a shift for us as mm. well. Yeah, I really should have a listen. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is cassette-based, this one. Yep. And I think we produced 500 of them. But then my brother then produced it, got a CD made cut.
1: Oh, wow. For extra
0: cost. That. And I feel like it might have been like $100 to get a CD made. A CD. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: that's, that's pretty early too.
0: In 89 or 91, 90, what, what was the date on that? Yeah. I think
2: it was 94.
0: Really? Out. Oh, it must have been.
2: Did you read the notes, Chris? Oh, a couple of them, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I think
0: 94. S- Stu wrote them. It's funny. Yeah. There's a recipe for pancakes in there too. Yeah, that's right. It. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's quite good. goes well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so before we talk more about um, the recording techniques and mm. how you would write, uh, we had some gig at some point. Oh, far out. Um, and I was given a... Shadowland Supergroup tape uh, to rehearse to. I can't remember uh, who gave it to me, but I'm going to go through all of the tracks that were on that. Um, so as far as the original songs, it was Freedom, Economy, More, and Now I'm Gone. Um, mm. Then there's a bunch of um, covers. Anyone remember or suggest any covers we might have been trying to do?
2: Well, that, that era... So we'd we'd gone through a we'd done our U two kind of era where we did U two type covers. We then then we started doing. We were, I could never sing Nirvana covers, but I would have loved to. Um, we, we did Pearl Jam. Mm. Not that I could sing those, but you know I could have a crack. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we did Pearl Jam covers. Then we started getting into some Radiohead covers.
0: Yeah. Here and there. And then so and, and
2: sort of random selection. Powderfinger and yeah. Yep, other,
1: yeah. Um, so I'll go through the list. I don't know if we ended up playing all of these. We definitely played some of them. Hmm. Uh, Day You Come by Powderfinger. Yeah. Paranoid Android by Radiohead. <laughs> I don't think we played that. One. Optimistic. In that's right. <laughs> that's another Radiohead track. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, Karma Police. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mofo by U2. Uh, Redneck Wonderland by oh, yeah. Midnight Oil. Mm. That era. Uh, Thou shalt not steal. Is that Kev Carmody? Yeah. Uh that was on there. Mm. Uh High and Dry, Fake yeah. Plastic Trees, yeah. Readyhead. Uh, Cannonball by the Breeders. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. we do that one? Can't We tried it. Um Poorly. Freak by Silverchair. Oh yeah. Uh Last Goodbye by Jeff Buckley. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, Rearview Mirror by Pearl Jam, which we definitely did. Did we? Yep. Because uh, Stu and I doing double guitars Whoa. live was
0: wow. big. Were you panned left and right? <laughs> I hope so. And
2: Did we do rear view mirror?
0: I'll be, yep, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm on stage making
1: hand gestures to the, the mix engineer, left, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Stone Me Into The Groove by Atomic Swing. I don't it's remember t- us doing that. No. Um, and Temptation by The Tea Party. So those were all nice. on, wow.
0: Again optimistic. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so some of them I do I definitely do remember yeah. doing. Oh, so it's kind of a
0: it's a, it's a heavier oh, there's a it, heavy theme it. through there yeah, to
1: Yep. Um yeah, it's definitely less eighties and more
0: yeah, yeah mid nineties. Grunge adjacent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What what year would you have been given that tape? Or I reckon that's like Ninety-five. No, I think later. it'd, later. Be, it'd be later. I think 90, 90 late,
2: 98. Yeah,
1: that sounds about right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, moving on to the second Shadowlands album, mm. um, the untimely demise of a dream. Great title, Thank you. Paul. <laughs> um, so, how did that all come about?
2: We, we were we were busy at that time, yeah. like doing. Um, a whole range of range of things. So Dave and I had spent that the year in nineteen ninety five at Collins Street Baptist, living, okay. living there, and so
1: for um, people <laughs> listening overseas, uh, that was a church in the centre of uh, Melbourne, so um, mm. main city here in Victoria. And um, this program was to, I guess, let people have a taste of outreach to people who are doing it a bit tougher. Um, Paul might have better words.
2: Yeah, so so we the the church the church was a traditional one, and, and so had had um, people come in for church on a Sunday from out in the suburbs, but didn't really have much connection with the, the city where where it was, where it existed. And so this program was to we we went and lived there. Um, another uh, um, um, pastor came, Tim Costello, who's quite well known, um, came at the same time and to, to set up. Uh, some sort of mission, mission to the the area around, and so we we spent time sort of on the street with people, and then we had a lunchtime kind of program that sort of thing. So, yeah. so we were doing that, but we also had more time for music. So we did mm. we did about fifty gigs that year, mm. which was quite a lot for us, and um, had a few new songs and stuff that we wanted to wanted to record you know some people record you know you kind of do recordings at the start of your thing so you can have a tape to give to somebody to say yep. we'd like to have a like to play and this is what mm. we sound like but we were in a very you know we played in a fairly um, small knit community mm. and so word of mouth sort of was how we got gigs i think mm. or t- tended to be yeah. so we didn't have to do that for that reason but we we'd had a few larger larger kind of um, events and yeah, wanted to get, have a recording of the songs that we thought were okay for mm. sort of for posterity. And maybe we probably still were a bit broke. Maybe we had a bit more money then. What we wanted yeah. to do a, a, We had a bit more idea about recording and stuff. Mm. I remember when we first did that. Back to that Latrobe Uni recording. I remember we we thought that the guy who did that recording was some kind of a genius. Mm. But it turns out he probably was. <laughs> he'd probably done a half a year of recording and had no idea <laughs> he wasn't very good and he wasn't very nice You're really so, no. underselling half my life perfect <laughs> <recalls>. <laughs> well this as I say this guy I don't I don't think he was particularly good at what he what he was doing so then being back with with Al and um, we, we Dave Carr did produced it for us yeah. and, mm-hmm. and he was he's like a musical genius yeah and yeah. Uh, dragged us along in his wake mm. <laughs>
1: So were there uh, things that you remember from those sessions that were like firsts or uh, things that sort of blew your mind just from a production side of you, uh, things or? Yeah, I, th- I think so
0: we we really just did follow what David suggested um, a lot of the time. He he didn't have his own studio. He had a, an eight track analog, like a Tascan. Mm-hmm. Um, again a tape-based 8-track and um, we, Stuart had just left the band and we were kind of without a guitarist and Dave's an amazing guitarist so we spent quite a lot of time just jamming songs out Um, and you might notice on on some of the Pearl Jam recordings they'll start off with the song starting, they'll stop and click four in and then they'll start the song. Mm. We did quite a lot of that, it, it, you know. Starting to get so it's all in in the recording moment. You're trying to capture a vibe, yep. and particularly as a drummer, you're trying to get the right energy. And we were writing songs and playing them and recording them at the same time. Um, and th- I can hear a bit of stiffness in some of the some of the music, but I can also hear that that we were, we kind of broke through in a number of songs where there was really great energy. Mm. Um, and, and the process really with David was that we would record the drums on eight tracks, we'd then go back to our studio, bounce them back onto his yep. DA88s. He'd then, we'd do a stereo mix of the drums, dump them back onto Dave's eight track with a syncing yep. track that you had to keep low because that the sync would then bleed back into all of the other tracks. Yep. Yep. And then you've got five tracks to record guitars and bass. Yep. And then you come back and dump them in and then we did vocals and keyboards at the at studio. Al's studio yeah mm. and and you might notice oh, I don't know if you've picked it up, but there are some songs we we did that process with probably three quarters of them and then a couple of songs that we just recorded all at Al's, and you can hear this the quality the sound quality difference between each of those tracks
1: um the thing that did impress me was that all the drums sound great mm. um and i got to say, I can hear when you're hitting hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. There's a, an audible difference. It's not sort of this massive, compressed, yeah, sampled sound. Yes, it's,
0: yep. Well, um, we actually recorded most of the, the drums in a really reverberous hall at mm. TLC, which is, was just a big old barn, basically. Yep. Um, and Dave was really into having mics placed anywhere and everywhere in the room to mm. try and capture that. Um they're really really natural. and bands like live and um, Pearl Jam and those other influencing bands were trying to capture that in live in yeah um, yep. moment um, rather than that really highly polished um, processed sound, yeah yeah, yeah. so when when there was recorded it was the EQ was flat. there was no compression on anything. it was just you play there and is, that's it. Yeah. Very honest, straightforward. Yes. Nice. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and as far as the writing process, you've said that the two of you had a lot of time to, um, to sort of work together. Mm. So, um, lyric writing, was that
2: mostly down to Paul or? Yeah, so I, I, I wrote the lyrics um, for all of the songs. And so, some of that was, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so, writing songs for me is not a. Um, you know a pouring out of the, the heart it's not yes. you know for, as some some people describe it yeah, with a you know yeah, a, we're, we're probably almost opposites in that so right. to yeah. songwriting yeah so it's it's a you know it's a kind of a i have a, a kind of an agenda yep. that I'll write it's a bit more like writing a speech and so often the the songs are a bit kind of polemic really you know and and so we had a we had a we were going through a phase in our in Our understanding of life, you know, quite a significant change in our understanding of what was important and what it meant to be a Christian. And, um, and we just spent a year working with homeless people basically, mm. yep. and so that really influenced a lot of our of, of my um, any any writing that I did. So, mm. the, the songs are kind of directed at a lot of them are directed at church. Church, you know, church people, if you like, <laughs> kind of a, a stereotype straw man church yeah. person, um, that we had we had been actually, <laughs> and yeah. we're moving in it in this in this different phase. And, and the final song is is literally about a guy, a homeless guy, I remember that we we met and um, we'd had a fair bit to do with, and who ended up passing away actually mm-hmm. that So that was quite a significant thing. And, and the, you know, we we had that little extra bit we added with a, a Henry Lawson poem in, in the um, in the song as well i might uh, dump a little bit of that into the podcast
1: for people to have a listen to um there's no uh, links where people can go and listen to it right now so maybe we'll set something up <laughs> um, but i think that's um yeah, a really interesting point because uh, we all sort of grew up in uh, similar bible belt backgrounds and then having to sort out all of this stuff that we thought we believed we thought the people around us believed um and how that what happens when you actually have to live some of that stuff um uh so like i always resonated with those lyrics i i um, always appreciated those paul so thank you um thank you but um i think it's it's an interesting tension because um i don't know if this is the same experience uh for the two of you but often people will it becomes very black and white how you feel about faith. So it's either I'm going to throw all of that away, it's all mm. rubbish, or yes. I'm going to completely toe the line and just essentially imitate what I was brought up in. Yep. But there's a whole bunch of people in the middle trying to wrestle, well, I don't. how, how can I believe this and not live that? Um, so I think that especially for lyrics and for trying to get people to just be confronted through art, um, I think that's really, it's important to engage with that even if you
2: don't have an answer. Um. It was, I mean, it was a really strange time for us because we'd gone through an early early phase of our performing, which was about kind of being missionary, you know? You know, Mm. you go in to to present a message and to try and kind of try and convert, to want, for want of a better word. Mm. And then we'd moved quite clearly to another. Mm. An, another phase of, of understanding. And um, so we would still be at the, in the same churches. Mm. And, I, and I remember mm. trying to redefine the words that the preacher was about to use. We knew that the preacher was about to use it and, and trying yeah. to trying to claim that word before they did, wow. <laughs> which right. was an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as members of the Satanic Church now... Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> so did, uh, it was pretty much... Um, the music came down to the whole band
0: or...? Often Paul would come with a, and he described it before, with a two-finger piano line mm. with a maybe a verse and a chorus and maybe a bridge, and then the band would interpret that and then we would just jam that out. Yeah. So you saying Paul's a slacker. Or... <laughs> No, well, and, and Dave, that pause was too long. Yeah, and, and I, I think that 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 sort of gave the band a, a different kind of sound because it, um, and and even I remember Paul coming, playing the guitar with just one finger on the fret and playing a couple of, mm. Mm. And, for the, and for the last song. I remember. Yeah. yeah, and
2: still one of the two songs I can play. Yeah, <laughs> all I want is you.
0: And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I i i think um that sometimes you can define a slight difference between um someone who's grown up well versed and um you know this is how you play the g chord on guitar yeah. or paul coming this is how this is what sounds good to me yeah. and um yeah that that kind of variance between the classically trained and
1: yeah, and that that's definitely something I noticed. In, in, musical
0: coming, intuition. Yeah, yeah,
1: coming into play with you guys was that um, there would be discussions about chords and structure uh, and keys, and yeah. I'd pretty much built all of my musical knowledge on bass notes and riffs. Yes. So even either a piano melody and the the root yeah. note, yeah, or a guitar riff with mm. um, with notes. and. And so sometimes um, the the language that we were using was just mm. it wasn't meeting. Yes, it'd yep. be like, what the hell yep. are you talking about? Yeah, um, I'll just do my best and yeah. I'll, whatever's in my head, yeah. I'll try and do it. Yeah, but,
0: um, and, and that's that's the beauty of those different collaborations with different styles of music yep. and and not being um, set in your ways. And I remember, Paul, talking about you and your style and, you know, there was lots of... Inverted commas. ...style. (laughs) Um, In a positive way too, Chris. Um, And about how that that sound could be blended into what we were doing and, you know, to create a more diverse and richer kind of experience of music. And you brought in a tape and I'm like, oh, is the song that we recorded back then on there? Because there was one song in particular that I'm, I'm still hunting down.
1: Yeah, I, I think we used to be. Well, were we were rehearsing out at someone's place in.
0: Was it my? Oh, place I, think, I think it was Paul's parents' place. I can't. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think yeah. we
1: we did some stuff back then. Yeah. I thought it was okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it was great. Lots of time signature changes and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. <sighs> <Bastard>. <sighs> um, <laughs> uh, was there anything
1: else that sort of jumped to mind when you're thinking about like the production um, or? Um. The writing. Any moments?
2: I remember trying to write. Write lyrics in the um in the studio, which we were paying for. I remember that was that was a bit stressful. (laughs) But then that, in fact, it turned out to be some of the lyrics I'm most happy with. Even listening now, I I still think, oh yeah, that was all right. That that hit the that hit the spot. Still kind of relevant. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Turned out okay. Um. Mm. And I remember, because my my style wasn't. You know, despite having gone gone through the grunge thing, I said, you know, we didn't sing Nirvana. It's because I had no, I had no capacity for the, you know, the the guttural, the, yeah, that yeah. that really the the screams. And I remember Dave Carr pushing to try and get that, get a bit of that going in in one of the recordings. But say, I don't remember the recording the recording of the music process. I, mm. I was not involved in that because I was at uni and. and mm and stuff at the time and fa- mm. failing a uni subject, as it turns out. Mm. <laughs> I find that hard <laughs> to believe. No, oh, it definitely mm. happened. <laughs> it's, <of course. laughs> it's a very stressful
1: event. Uh, and, and, Dave, you went on to do some recording for other people. Yeah, yep. Um, give us a little bit of a rundown of that. And...
0: Well, in a similar vein to the way um, The Untimely Demise of a Dream was recorded, I had a, an eight-track as well. Mm. I started off with a four-track, actually, yep. recording... Uh, some punk bands, and that's the thing, and and, and having those moments where where you know you've probably overdubbed the lyric a little, you know, the the, the lead singer's vocal too often, <laughs> and you end up breaking the tape.
1: Oh, I've never gone quite that far. Yeah. Um, uh, previous episodes have talked about having a Tascam Porter Studio Four. Yes. Uh, so a four track. Yep. Um, and I think you might have lent me that eight. Your eight track. Yes. Standard. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. Bit, um, after
0: that. Yeah, and, and you're forever just trying to bounce tracks around yeah. a, and not to lose too much quality in the process, and then you learn skills in how to increase the volume without increasing tape hiss and all of those sort yes. of things. Um, yeah, and certainly done a, a number of iterations of of, of a similar um, with what we did with uh, with the last album we recorded, where you bounce tracks over to a in a professional studio. And mm. it, it gave it gave you much more flexibility with a musician who was still kind of green. Yep. Trying to get the vocal or trying to get the guitar line right. You're you're at home in a home setting. You're not paying a
1: yeah,
0: yep. hundred dollars an hour back in the nineties for, you know, a professional setup and yep. um Yeah. So lots of those experiences. Yeah.
1: Um and most desperate moment of innovation. <laughs> It could it could have been on the stage, could have been in a session.
2: Other than the McDonald's bucket, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the thing that, that was pretty desperate, wasn't
0: it? I don't know. Well, look, uh, uh, Ace our bass player, you know, was a classic at just doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. So he'd plug his bass into the lighting rig, gr- lighting rig, and not understand why he had a massive hum coming through. <laughs> To almost knocking himself out. Wow. Um, Getting yeah. into that gig, the same yeah. gig. Maybe yeah, that's why geek. I plugged in. I've had those moments where you're playing drums and you think, I should be wearing earplugs. So you put earplugs in, realise it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Take one earplug out during a break, not knowing where to put it. So I put it in my mouth, oh. <laughs> which was a terrible idea. That's pretty desperate.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we had other. Great stories of innovation. I'm afraid we we kind of just muddle along the whole time.
1: <laughs> no, Paul. We um, worked on a project more recently, which was a Radiohead celebration gig, mm. um, which was a lot of fun. Um, had you done much before that? Um, had you or you had sort of taken a break for a while? Or
2: I, I hadn't done much um, much singing, uh, you know, for performing. Um, for quite a few years, but yeah it was but I kept up singing because i I really enjoy it but um yeah, so that w- that was really fun I really yeah. enjoyed that that process and the the musos who were involved in that were, were great and it was you know it's nice having a um a set of songs that you just you didn't have to make a choice or choose there's the songs because we, we were you know we were doing um okay computer mm. and just playing it straight through so it was, yeah it was great I really enjoyed that
1: Um, I I was struck by um, how precise your voice still is. Um, So, yeah, I felt like I had to lift my game a little (laughs) bit. Um, Yeah, so you've got quite different lives to where you began with um, playing in Shadowlands. Um, So you've got a doctor and a... Builder. A builder. (laughs) Yeah. A, a building organisation manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But how do you feel all of those experiences have sort of led into who you are now? Like with those combined experiences of um, mm. those skills sort of bled over into um, the the day jobs, for want of a better word.
2: It certainly has has for me, because um, obviously I was. I was the singer in the band, so I was at the front of the stage, mm. kind of doing the the talking and and that sort of thing. And um, so so now in my in my job, uh, you know, I do some advocacy kind of stuff and public speaking and um, that sort of thing. And it's I, I'm very comfortable in that, in that situation, yeah, yep. you know, and and that's and that allows me to relax in that situation, which means I can do uh, I can um, connect with people in a way that mm. uh, some other people might have a bit more trouble with. Yep. Yeah, so that, that the struggle of trying to connect back in the day of, you know, meet people in the eye and scan the room and try and draw mm-hmm. people in. You know, I always had this, as we said, as we said right at the start, we, we uh, you two were kind of our, um, the gold standard for us. And obviously that's a skill that Bono has to, to draw the whole room in. Mm. And I'm not at all suggesting that I have anything like that. <laughs> He does it in a very different way, a very emotional, um, a very emotional way. But that, the, the practice of of trying to hold an audience, um, mm. yep. yeah, I, I, I use that all the time. I realise now that you know, even in even in relatively small groups, that the capacity to make a connection with people and make them feel like you're yeah they're, they're with you is, is um, has been a great benefit to my <laughs> to mm. my other life.
0: Interestingly, yeah, that's really good, yeah. mm. Dave. Well, certainly as a drummer, um, I found that Hitting things hard also works in woodwork. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right. It does. Yeah. There is that. But 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 also as a drummer, you're kind of the linchpin in the organisation of, of how the music goes. Mm-hmm. And and it's I always felt it was my job to keep everyone in in line on and on time. Difficult with some of our <laughs> members. <laughs> but but it also means that, that and, and I found drumming quite easy. But it, it also meant that I, I had space in my mind just to, to check how everyone else is going. And I think I'd take that into my professional life now okay, where, yep. again, I still have people who follow my beat, mm. follow what needs to be done in a, um, a busy and, um, you know, it's a taxing environment. Mm. And I have to be able to multi you know, have a number of things in my mind yep. keeping the beat, but also check that all of those other things are, are being followed. Yeah, so it's almost like the bleed over from a producer role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So I, I reckon, Dave, I, I have this impression that your your project management kind of skills yeah. really yep. came to the fore during that recording
0: with Stu. Yeah, right, yeah.
2: Bringing that stuff together. Yep. Like, cause, yeah. like Because, you know, there'd been casual roles, but that was the first time I I can recall of you you sort of taking a project and really pulling a whole lot of stuff together and organising and coming out with a really nice product. It's really, it's
0: interesting. Mm. Oh, thank you.
1: Um, Well, thank you both for coming in. Um, Before we sign off, are there um, things you'd like to plug or charities that you'd like to give a shout-out to?
2: No, no. Well, my my current uh, my current bag is is um, uh, kind of harm reduction. Yep. Um, so you know, if anyone's listening, in North America you may have heard of harm reduction because you're you're in Canada and and the US the, um, the the toll of the the toll of the war on people who use drugs rather than the war on drugs is um, is devastating and and uh, requiring a, a different kind of response. So that's what I that's the what I'd be encouraging people to uh, have a look into how you can what the, what the war on drugs is doing to
0: to communities and and how we can have a better response. Mm. Excellent, thanks. Yeah, and I, I think in in a similar fashion, we, we talked about before that, um, and you mentioned it with feeling about the 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 opportunity we have to try and and hold a number of different positions. That that people might have around faith, around politics, you know, around um, gender, all sorts of different things, and about our ability to just to hold each other in that, and yeah. and not um, feel like black black and white is certainly a safer place in some ways to be, but but it's not always the best place to find what's in common, and yeah. and I think I just want to. Um, really encouraged us to, that, that if we can try and seek the things that we share rather than the, the things that separate us, I think that's a, a really powerful yeah. mindset to have. Yeah.
1: Well said Dave, thanks. Uh, so as always, there is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you're doing. Thanks everyone.
2: Cue playback.